0: So how many of you are thinking about somebody out on the road today on a bicycle? Okay, not as many as one might have thought. What a lovely day it is. Well, we're in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and today we are finally going to be looking at the verses about the fruit of the Spirit. But even with that said, it's going to take us a while to get there. The fruit of the Spirit, as you know, are those virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and the like. And how desperately our world needs people that are exhibiting and that have these emotions and these virtues. And who here doesn't want to be a more loving person? A more joyful person, a kinder person, a more patient person. And the great news is that God wants to to produce all these things in our lives. He wants us to be loving, patient, joyful, morally upright, etc. And we're going to read about this today. So let's start in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers, you were called to be free. What is that freedom? Freedom from the pressure of trying to impress God and earn his favor. That's what we're free from. The freedom of having to obey the law to please God. We're free from all of that. But we mustn't use our freedom to indulge our sinful nature but rather to serve one another in love. We're also set free in the gospel to forget about ourselves and to become other-centered. We get set free from selfish ambition and set free from being caught up in ourselves, free to serve others. The entire law is summed up in a single commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed. By each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy and drunkenness, orgies and the like. And I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it won't be because they've lost their salvation. People that live like that are demonstrating that they are not saved. He goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the fruit of the Spirit, I want us to look carefully at how Paul defines who a Christian is. Because he deals with this in the passage. He uses the term, verse 24, in the middle of the slide. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. To sum it up for you, Paul defines a Christian in two ways. And this is very important if we want the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives. Because this is where it begins. You have to be a Christian. And Paul tells us that Christians are those who belong to Christ Jesus. They have crucified the sinful nature. And secondly, he says they are living by the Spirit. This is a crucially important verse, verse 24, because the fruit of the Spirit doesn't just come out of nowhere. The fruit of the Spirit is not just a random act of kindness that someone performs. Non-Christians can be patient. They can be loving. They can be self-controlled. The fruit of the Spirit is something different. It's a supernatural something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. The fruit of the Spirit is something only found in the lives of Christians. It is something supernatural. And it is the direct result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So picking up on how Paul defines who a Christian is. A Christian is someone who, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. I want us to think about this Phrase. What does it mean that those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature? What does the Bible mean by the term the sinful nature? By the way, well, previously Paul has, has, has explained to us that there is this battle that goes on in the heart of every person between our sinful nature and between what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, and between what the Holy Spirit wants us to be, and what our sinful nature wants us to be. There's this constant battle that goes on in the heart of every person. What does Paul mean when he talks about our sinful nature? In, in the English Bible, the NIV, it's two words, sinful nature. In the Greek, it's simply one word, socks, which means our flesh, flesh. It's the literal word for, you know, your, your body. What does Paul mean by socks? What is the sinful nature that we all have? We need to understand that the Greek's And the Hebrews viewed the world very, very differently. The Greeks despised the material world. For Greek people, what was spiritual was what really counted. We see this even in the philosophy of Plato, that everything down here is just a poor shadow of the spiritual reality that exists somewhere else. So, for the Greeks, uh, the spiritual side of a thing was what really mattered. And salvation was about escaping this material world. We still see that in New Age belief uh, uh, and in Hinduism. Nirvana is the spiritual state of perfection. That's not a Christian idea at all. Uh, the, the Hebrew idea was, was material affirming that, that creation and even our bodies are good things and that salvation is not jettisoning the body. It's, it's having a new physical body. But living here, heaven is a, a new heaven and a new earth. And so when Paul says, oh, it is my flesh that is bad, I must crucify my flesh... He's not actually talking about the physical body. He's using the word socks to refer to everything about him as a person that is ungodly, that is fallen, that is sinful. And many of our sinful desires have nothing to do with our physical desires. Sure, gluttony is a physical desire, and it's wrong. Sexual immorality, when wrong, sexual desire, when wrongly expressed, is a physical desire and it's wrong. But many desires of the flesh are purely psychological or spiritual, like envy, like jealousy, wh- like hatred. These are not physiological things from our flesh. But that's all part of our, our fallen nature. Paul, uh, sorry, David describes his sinful nature in this way. After he's convicted of his sin of adultery and murder and rationalization, after Nathan comes and tells him this little story about, oh, there was this man that had a little lamb that he loved and stroked, and there was a king who had fields of sheep, and a guest came for dinner, and instead of taking one of his thousand sheep to serve up for dinner. He went to this man's house, grabbed that little lamb that that man loved, killed it, cooked it, and served it. Served it. And David is furious and he says, "Who hey, bring this man to me. I'm going to kill him. He's worthy of death. Nathan the prophet says, you are the man because of how you treated another man's wife. And after he's convicted of his sin, he says, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inner parts. Here's David, 3,000 years ago, recognizing that he has a sinful nature. He didn't start being a sinner when he was 20 We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We all have a sinful nature. Jesus put it this way He said, It is out of the heart that come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. The problem is here, folks. It's it's our heart, it's our spirit, it's our psyche. It's not our flesh. Sure, our bodies are getting older and we suffer as part of this fallen creation. But when Paul says flesh, he's referring to our sinful nature. Sin is deeply embedded in our souls, in our psyche. And then... This chapter, Galatians 5, we're told that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Previously in Galatians 2, he speaks about, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, it's, it's Christ living in me. Do you see the strong theme in Paul's writing? In Galatians 5, those who belong to Jesus have crucified their sinful nature with Christ. Here in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. There's a little picture for you to see. To see. He talks in, in Romans 6 about how my old self was crucified with him. Here, the old self here is not socks, but it's my, my anthropos, my old man. I'm not talking about his father. My old man was crucified with Christ, my own self. Came across this quote. It wasn't just two people who were crucified with Christ on Calvary, the thief by the side. But every believer in Christ was crucified with him. I love this picture as well because of how well it contrasts the gentleness of, of, of a woman's hand. I and mean, there's even a bit of jewelry there. And just sharing in the, the death of Christ. A true Christian is one who's had an encounter with their sinful nature, who've, who've sought to, to terminate, to end, to, to, to put to death all of that within them that is sinful and fallen. That's what it means to have been crucified with Christ. In Galatians 6, the next chapter, after this one, he talks about how I've been crucified to the world. And I never want to boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus through whom, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's the spiritual transaction that took place on the cross where in Christ we died with him there. And that should have an effect in our lives today. And as you know, this is a battle we constantly fight. Romans 7, Paul describes it so well. He says, i land up doing the things I don't want to do. That which I want to do, I don't do. Oh, Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus can and will if we let him. But there has to be a dying to self before the fruit of the Spirit will be in our lives. Colossians 3, Paul picks up on this. We've got to take off the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed. Same thing in Ephesians 4. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted, and put on the new self. Created to be like God. Friends, that's who belongs to Jesus. It's someone who's crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. As a Christian, you can never say this ungodly desire I have within me is acceptable. Christians are those who who have sought to put to death the sinful nature and are in a constant battle of making sure it stays dead. We're living sacrifices who may not crawl off the altar. Let's put to death all that belongs to our flesh. The second prerequisite to experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is to live by the Spirit. Which which is a reference I understand to being born again. It's the Spirit comes into our lives, makes us spiritually alive. And once that's happened, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. It's not a one-off sort thing. Wow! I received the Spirit. Great. No, we need to receive the Spirit and then keep in step with the Spirit, in sync with the Spirit. This is a military metaphor. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's so many ways to. the Bible pictures the Holy Spirit. He's like a fire, like breath, like wind, like rain, like a river, like a spring, like a well, like a flame, like sap in a vine. We must be fooled, we mustn't quench. And we must keep in step with the Spirit. If we want to experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we first need to experience these two things. The crucifying of our sinful nature and the ongoing considering of it as dead. And we need to live by the Spirit and the ongoing keeping in step with the Spirit. And if we do that, we will find that the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in our lives because the soil is right and the Spirit is at work. Some observations about the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural, it is not natural to be loving, to be joyful, to be peaceful to be patient, to be kind. None of these things come naturally to us. Sure, if we had good parents, they may have managed to sort of mold us in a particular way, but at the end of the day, that's just window dressing. (laughs) (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit, to be able to have joy when terrible things are happening around you, that's not the result of good parenting. That's a miracle. and where Christians depart from their liberal humanities brothers and sisters, we do not believe that people are born good and society corrupts them. No, quite the opposite. We're born bad and and society helps maybe us be a little bit better. But fundamentally, we're all born with sinful, depraved natures. The Reformed doctrine of the depravity of sin means that every part of our life and being has been affected by sin. It doesn't mean we're as bad as we possibly could be, but it does mean we all have the potential to be terrible. And when we see a murderer and a rapist, or whatever it is, on trial for some horrendous crime, It truly can be said, there but for the grace of God go you and I. We have within all of our hearts the potential to do horrendous things and to justify them to ourselves. The fruit of the Spirit is contrary to what we would naturally do. I think I've covered this point. (laughs) Because we would naturally do all the wrong things. The deeds of the sinful nature are obvious, says Paul. And you can read about them in the newspaper any day of the week. Thirdly, the fruit of the Spirit is the unmistakable sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Not miracles, not shaking, but being loving to people, being kind. Being joyful, having peace when there's no reason to have peace. This is the the unmistakable evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in a person's life. But as we've heard from Paul, the fruit of the Spirit is not automatic. We have to put off the old and put on the new and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Let's take a look at some of the Spirit's fruit. Agape love. This is when the Holy Spirit enables us to love people that aren't deserving of our love. It's the love Jesus had for people when he hung on the cross and said, I forgive you even though you crucify me. That's the kind of love the Holy Spirit produces in a Christian's heart. It's a work of the Spirit, as Paul points out in Romans 5, when he says, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's a sign that the Holy Spirit is active in your life. You find that you love people. Racism is incompatible with being a Christian. For it is the love of God which is a sign of the the Holy Spirit's presence poured out in our hearts toward others. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Happiness and joy are two different things. People can be happy because stuff's going well. Joy is that feeling of contentment and deep-seated something. It's hard to put it into words even though terrible things are going on. That's what joy is. Paul writes Philippians from from jail, and he says, I always pray with joy. The Holy Spirit produces joy in our hearts, despite what's going on. Peace is part of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Are you a person who has deep peace? So many people today don't have peace. It's the third fruit of the Spirit. And it's peace that passes understanding. Verse 7 of our slide. And the peace of God, and now that peace gets described, which transcends understanding. Paul means which defies logic. <laughs> that you can have chaos in your life, but have the peace of God. It, it defies, it transcends reason, and logic. What is patience? The Greek word used here, makrothumia, means not taking revenge. When someone has wronged you, it's that ability to just let it go. That too is a work of the Holy Spirit, not taking revenge. What is kindness? Strong's lexicon tells us, the word here, kindness, it means sweetness of disposition, gentleness in dealing with others, kindness, affability, the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing your patience. That's what kindness is. What is goodness? It struck me this morning, this is a word that's dropped out of our vocabulary, Because unfortunately, it's not really important in our our society, in the world today. But the Greeks had a term for goodness. It meant moral excellence. And people were lauded for pursuing moral excellence. It means the state of being good, virtuous, above reproach. Faithfulness probably corresponds to our integrity today. There's a truthfulness about you, an honesty about you in in your dealings with other people. You you are who you say you are. Faithfulness, gentleness we've looked at, self-control. It's ironic that the more we give over control of ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the more self-control We gain, and I couldn't help but thinking of of AA and the famous 12 step program, which started off as a very Christian thing. We, uh, step one of the 12 steps, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And, friends, that's often where freedom starts that recognition. I'm stuck. I'm in a hole that I cannot get out of. Step two, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity. Three, I made a decision to turn over my will to God. Nowadays, that's a little bit watered down. It's kind of God as I understand him to be. But originally, it was the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Self-control, the ability to manage oneself actually starts as we say, Lord, will you take over? Will you help me? In closing, can you say today, I have crucified my sinful nature, my flesh, and all its desires. Can you say, we are those who have taken up our cross and are following Jesus. We consider ourselves to have been crucified with Christ, and we are daily considering our sinful nature and its desires as null and void. We have been crucified with Christ. Secondly, are we seeking to... To keep in step with the Spirit? Are we living, not in, in, with human effort, but are we living by the power of the Spirit at work within us? Are we seeking to keep in step with the Spirit? And the final challenge for all of us today is, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life? Because this is the slam dunk test of whether a person is a Christian or not. Are you becoming a more loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, self-controlled, morally good, faithful person? I hope you are. Let's pray together as we have the worship team back on the stage. Lord, this is tricky stuff we've been looking at. When Paul talks about, I've crucified my sinful nature with its desires. Help us to understand, Lord, what it means to be crucified with Christ. To consider the world crucified to us and us to the world. And help us, Lord, to... To understand what it means to live by the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit. Lord, we want to win this battle over our sinful nature. We say with David, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Surely I was, have been sinful from birth. We agree with you, Jesus, when you say, from out of the heart of a person flow all of these sins. And we say with Paul, wretched person that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus. Lord, come and wash us afresh today. when our sinful nature rears its ugly head, decapitate that thing, Lord. And Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives, that it would be evident to others and to a watching world that we are changed. Work within us, Lord. Thank you for joy in painful circumstances, for peace in troubled times, for self-control in the face of temptation. Come and transform our lives, Lord, until Christ is formed in us so that you can be glorified, Lord. Thank you for this great salvation in which we share. We love you, Lord. Amen.
1: I believe this song would be a fitting response. But I want us not just to sing it. I want us to believe it and say it to Him. And as we sing it to Him, if maybe you don't know how to pray, Seems a strange thing to say, but if you don't know how to pray, would you come and stand here in front and maybe have one of the pastoral leadership, leadership of the church just pray with you when the music fades. Bless you, Lord.
2: When the music fades. For a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You look into my heart I'm coming back to the heart It's all about you. It's all about, about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. When it's all about you, it's all about Much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single. Over with him, to the way things are. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single
1: breath. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. In our lives, the greatest moment is when we acknowledge that in our own strength we cannot because of our sin and our nature. Change us, Lord, we pray. Can you pray that? Lord, would you change us, Lord?
2: Lord, we're here to die, Lord. Have your way, Lord.
1: Encourage you as well in the world in which we compare ourselves to others, folk. The only one we compare ourselves to is Christ Himself, is Jesus.
2: Blessed be your name, Lord.
0: we're in this attitude of prayer. Maybe we need to do a bit of taking off the old self and putting on the new. I've been thinking a lot about confession lately, and there is even that scripture that says, confess your sins to one another and pray that you may be healed. And sometimes we do hit a brick wall in our personal process of sanctification and sometimes we do need others to pray with us but it always starts with us recognizing and owning a particular area in our lives that is not pleasing to God and maybe you can think of struggles you're having right now I want to just encourage you to bring that thing to God to You don't have to name it out loud but you need to name it in your head and you need to say to god yeah because until we name a thing we can't deal with it that's right i just want to encourage you to name whatever sins you're struggling with whatever evidence there is of your sinful nature rearing its ugly head just bring it to the lord now and say come lord just strengthen me and Put to death this within me. Thank you that you, you can save me, that I can overcome, that I can put off the old man. Consider the members of my body as dead to sin and alive to God. And if that doesn't work, then I encourage you to seek counsel and to have prayer and to have ministry so that you can identify the root of that thing in your heart. Set us free, Lord. May we be Amen. a people free from sin. Yeah. Free in Christ. Absolutely. Thank you, Lord. Yeah.
1: You know this. Oh, come,
2: let us the glory when
1: that you would continue the ministry in our hearts. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the focus it gives us and the clarity of vision it reminds us again. Spirit of God, move in our hearts. Loose us from this kingdom of ours and may your kingdom come in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. God bless. Please don't rush off if you'd like some prayer. Please don't rush off.